Hey everyone, I'm Callie Sorensen, and welcome to my podcast, where we explore different perspectives and dive into our life experiences to uncover new ideas and insights. Through these conversations, we hope to educate, empower, and inspire one another to expand our minds, open our hearts, and have a deeper understanding of ourselves, others, and the world we live in. Thank you for joining us on this journey of discovery, growth, and learning. And may we find practical solutions to life's complex challenges. I'm so excited because today I have Andrew here. And Andrew Pledger is a religious trauma survivor raised in a fundamentalist Christian cult. He is LGBTQ plus and brings awareness to spiritual and religious abuse. He was expelled from Bob Jones University after a controversial interview with author Josh Harris. And you guys got to go check that one out. It's a good one. His experiences have inspired him to pursue psychology to help survivors. He is now a content creator, activist, writer, and religion recovery coach using social media to share his story and inspire others. And I met Andrew, what was it like last year? We both kind of started speaking out and whistleblowing at the same time and found each other through Instagram and just were supporting each other so much Mm. through this journey. And I love what you share because, you know, I was in a new age spiritual cult and you were in a religious spiritual cult. Mm -hmm. And it's just, what I love about it is the underlying patterns are so much the same. So I'm excited to dive into this conversation because I asked you, I was like, if you could talk about any topic, what do you want to dive into today? And you wrote in how toxic religion caused you to be in narcissistic relationships. And I was like, oh, Mm. yes, please. Let's talk about this. (laughs) For people who don't know you, how did you get into toxic religion? Were you born into Mm -hmm. this cult or how -hmm. did you get involved? Yeah, I think going over my background is important. So I feel like, yeah, that's what I'll do for viewers and kind of have that foundation. And then we can dig into how that caused me to be in narcissistic relationships. So for people who don't know my story, I grew up in a fundamentalist Christian cult and it was called the IFB, which stands for Independent Fundamental Baptist. And for people who aren't familiar with this movement, It really started in the 1920s as a reaction to modernism and these more fringe and more extreme Christians in the Baptist denomination, they wanted to isolate their members from the outside world, control the information that they were exposed to, and to continue to grow that culture through more generations. And so... That's kind of the reason for that starting. And the reason they're called independent is because there's no higher organization over these churches. Each group can do whatever they want without no checks and balances. <laughs> no, no checks and balances. No, there's going to be no problems with that, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there is a, literally a podcast that is dedicated to just IFB abuse. Really? It's called wow. Preacher It's called Preacher Boys. I've been on it and it's crazy all the stuff that goes on in these environments. And that's what happens when you isolate people from the outside world, you control their behavior, the information, their thoughts or emotions, just going through the bite model right now, but (laughs) all these different aspects of their lives and there's no accountability, no one having those checks and balances, like you said. And so I was born into this. 
my parents both attended a fundamentalist Christian college that sole purpose was pushing this group's ideology. And it's this ideology is very much like any other cult. They're all the same, the dynamics, like they have the truth. They're the only way. And it has that us versus them mindset. So like people on the outside were like unsaved. They were lost. They were evil. They were children of Satan. Those saved were good on the inside and agreed with the group's ideology. And it was really strange because this group also claimed that the King James Version of the Bible was the only legitimate word of God and any other version of the Bible or any other religious book was illegitimate. Like this was the only way. Why do you think they chose that one? I think the reason they did that is they saw it as the most pure or untainted. Now they claim that there's no mistakes in that book, which is not true. They claim it's the inerrant word of God. No mistakes. Again, there are so many contradictions in it. And I've like I've searched it myself. And that was a big moment for me <laughs> of like, questioning and deconstructing it's like oh my gosh like this is actually it's not perfect like they said and so i think in their eyes again that superiority like oh this is the best book Mm. this is better than other versions and it's interesting because it's not perfect like they said it was Mm. and how did your parents stumble upon it were they looking for a community or church to belong to or yeah it's interesting because my parents both have different reasons for it. So my dad, I think he was born into it. So his mother, my um, Mm. paternal grandmother was into it. And my paternal grandfather was not. And on my mom's side, in her childhood, she started out growing up Methodist. And a waitress at a restaurant handed them literature from an IFB church in the area. I think what really drew her family in was the claim of certainty. Through our group, you you can know yeah. you're going to die and go to heaven. Like You don't have to be worried about death. Just come to our group, accept our teachings, conform, believe all these things, and you will live a blissful afterlife with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for eternity. So that's well, that's a good sales tactic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I think it speaks to the underlying human psychology. I mean, that's what got me mm-hmm. in my spiritual cult. It's like, here's the answer. Mm-hmm. Cause it was like, man, with a life full of uncertainty, with a life full of this yeah. division and suffering and pain and not having the answers. And always, I think there's a deep part of everyone, every yes. human being that wants the answers or is seeking for some kind, even if they're not conscious of it or not. And then yes. somebody offers you here's the answer. And like, it's certain. It's like, damn it. Like, I'll take that, right? I'll take two. (laughs) And I'll dive, I'll dive deep because I want certainty because then it gives me a sense of stability. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And once my maternal grandmother really got involved, she just went all out because I've seen the result Mm. of that. I would say she is very addicted to following religious rules, like very obsessive about it, about wearing the right dress, the right length of dress, having your hair perfect for church, like doing it for Jesus or whatever, you know, constantly monitoring and 
worrying about your thoughts. So making sure they're pleasing to God and following the group's rules and not questioning and doing all these things so that God is pleased with you. And so she passed this on to her children. In that family, they had three children and the youngest was my aunt and then my mom and then my uncle. And my uncle, he became a preacher in the IFB and he right now he is like heavily into like the end times and was talking about, Oh, it's coming soon. Here are the signs. We better be ready. We got to convert all the people we can because they're going to be left behind in the rapture Mm. and all these terrible things are going to happen. And then on my dad's side of the family, there's a little bit, I think more diversity in like the Christian beliefs. My dad, he went to, Bible college to become a pastor. And he was a pastor in the IFB for a while until he actually decided, wow, this is so miserable. I hate this so much. And that's something he never said to me. It was something my mom had told me when I asked because my dad has never talked to me or my brothers about his past being a preacher in the IFB. And what that was like, it's just something he's never talked about. Wow. And I think for what I think personally is he really got manipulated into doing that and shamed and guilted in doing it. Because in that environment, I remember being told at certain times that the reason you're put on this earth is to spread this message. That's why God put you here and you're in this group. You're special. You're set apart. God has such a has this wonderful plan for you. An amazing plan for you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All you have to do Gosh, it's all the same is, stuff. It's like yeah. just give up, just give up your will and desire for autonomy, and God will just do these wonderful things for you. And in that environment, you are looked down upon. I felt the judgment as I got older when I didn't tell people, oh, I want to go into the ministry and spread God's word. I felt the judgment. I got minimized and ignored. And I saw that people that did say, oh, I'm going to dedicate their lives. People just praised and seemed to worship them. And I'm like, oh, well, I guess I'm just scum because I don't want to grow up and become a preacher. But I knew at that point, I'm like, that would be so miserable. (laughs) No, thank you. (laughs) I would not. That's just, I knew at that point, no, that is not what I want to do. And so in this environment also, like, very, very strict rules and very strict gender roles and a lot of behavior control of like the information you're exposed to. So like the books you read, the schooling that is done for children. There was a school that was attached to the cult that I grew up in and homeschooling was greatly encouraged. And I was homeschooled my entire life for the purpose of being indoctrinated into this group. Even I realized that as I got older and when I would express like, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be a part. And like, you don't say, I don't want to be a part of this group anymore. Like, cause what would happen? They, they talked about, which again, that an example of like phobia indoctrination. I remember being told, Oh, if you leave this group and this belief system, you don't believe this anymore. You are going to live such a miserable and unhappy life. The devil is coming after you. He has you. The people on the outside, they're so evil and so awful. You'll be so miserable. They will eat you alive and you're going to come crawling back. You're going to come crawling back to us like the prodigal son in misery and in shame. So don't do that. Just stay. Just stay. It's so awful on the outside. (laughs) 
Man, and it just breaks my heart because especially for, you know, I was first generation, right? I chose to go into these groups. I mean, not willingly yeah. or consensually mm-hmm. choosing to go in, but I had a life before, yeah. you know, but for these second generation, third generation members, mm-hmm. it's so hard because you're born in yeah. and like, that's your whole life, mm-hmm. right? And for you, it was like your mom, your dad, mm-hmm. the grandparents, and then you're homeschooled. So you're not even around. Yeah other people, Mm-mm. like how much that must it's just so ingrained in your psyche. Yeah. And people are like, well, why don't you just break out early? It's like, well, you don't know anything else, right? Like Mm-mm. that's your whole life. That's your whole thought process. It's like, you kind of look up to your mom and dad as they're God and they have the answers. Like you love them so much, right? Like you never think to question them early on. Mm-hmm. So like, when did you start to then question and break out was it like a slow gradual process of it or did it i kind of happen all at once i would say like it was a slow gradual process and then it felt like it happened all at once (laughs) honestly like (laughs) i think that's a good way to say it it's like like all at once the the shelf broke right (laughs) yes all these little things putting on the shelf putting on the shelf and then one day it's just like (laughs) exactly And so I so relate. <laughs> for me, I think what made me question was my sexual identity not matching what they taught. And still, mm. even in that group, not I didn't have the language to know internally what I was dealing with, but I knew that, oh, I don't really fit into what they're talking about. I'm really confused because I don't fit into their binary thinking or the way they're presenting this. And so again, when you have thoughts that go against the group's beliefs, that's of Satan. You're not supposed to have that. You're supposed to pray those away and avoid them. So a lot of like internal conflict. I know like you're smiling because it's the same. Pray the gay away. And so, (laughs) and yeah, that is what they talked about that. It was like homosexuality in that group was like, Oh, it's a disease that God could heal you from Mm. or a mental illness in a sense. And so you just had to pray Pray it away, pray the gay way. Did you know that you were gay growing up, like from a young age? Did you disclose it to anybody? Or? I think from a young age, I knew I was different. Again, still not knowing what that was. And then when I got older, realizing, oh, I'm in that environment. And I know this is archaic language, but this is what they use. But the only term I used at that age was sodomite. That's, yes, I'm sorry for people who have to hear that, but that's such archaic and dehumanizing language. So that's really what I heard. And so to have your humanity and really you as a person so dehumanized, like you're and taught that you're abominable in God's sight, Mm -hmm. God can't stand the sight of you at all. You're such a disappointment to your families, just all these things. Because they teach you to become dependent on this system and on this belief. And then you find out, oh my gosh, like if God is so displeased with me, he hates me basically. And if it comes out, then, you know, what's going to happen to me? What are they going to do? Am I actually safe at all? Like I didn't have really a sense of safety, I think, in that environment and at home. And so for me, it was like repressing it, denying it. So that was too hard to emotionally deal with. So repressing that and being like, oh no, I'm not that. Nope, not at all. 
So it just right. moving along because the reality of that was too much to deal with. So I think repressing those things and that's what I was taught, like any difficult or unpleasant emotions, you weren't allowed to have those anyways. So you just repress them, pray them away. Or I was always told, oh, like, you know, get close to Jesus, have that relationship and like air quotes, I'm like, whatever, whatever that means, <laughs> which it was crazy to me because I felt so gaslit when I left too, because you were like, oh, well, you didn't really believe, you didn't really have a relationship with Jesus or you wouldn't have left. It wasn't real for you. And for me, oh my God. like, they're like, if you, if it was real, you would have stayed. And they were like, it sounds like you just were given a bunch of rules to follow and all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, it's true. A lot of rules and regulations, but that's a part of the religion. When I would talk with people about a relationship, oh, okay, I'm like, oh, that's great. So I don't have to follow these rules then. I can just have a relationship with Jesus and no worry about this book. And they're like, well, no, no, no. Action. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> they're like, no. <laughs> when you find a way that's actually going to work for you, they're like, Because oh. <laughs> it's like off. the cottage of dissonance. I'm like, okay, you say it's not about rules. Okay, then let's get rid of all these rules and everything. <laughs> <laughs> the people, they have to deal with their cognitive dissonance when they're still in the group. So they dismiss your experiences or explain it away or gaslight you to make them feel better. So I've learned to just block people like that. Like when I, when I, I get comments or DMs, you never had a relationship with Jesus. I'm like, block, I'm like, sorry, like I'm not even messing with that. When there's no opening. Yeah. I think that's the hard thing mm -hmm. with these groups and with religion or even spirituality or anything. It's like when... The belief is so strongly mm -hmm. held. Mm -hmm. It's like life or death. Like you will go down dying for that belief. Yeah. And I think that's that's yeah. the saddest thing because it's like, oh, I'd love to have conversations mm -hmm. or I'd love to open up and just talk and, and see out the different perspectives. But when there's zero opening and they're holding so yeah. tightly, it's like you're fighting yes. a lose-lose battle I, in a sense. Mm -hmm. like, and I think as I dug into cult education and mind control – I saw them through a different lens and honestly with, I think more empathy yeah. if I understand and I can't force them to do anything either. Just like they can't force me. So I'm like, you know what? They're going to exactly. have to come to their own conclusions and do their own journey. I can't do that for them. What I try to do now is where mm -hmm. in my life have I been yeah. like that? Right. So it's like, even when I was yeah. in the cult and I, people were telling us it was a cult, even my friend committed oh. suicide within the cult. And it was still like, I was still fighting for this is an amazing group and this is going to change mm -hmm. the world, even though it's destroying the life of not only mine, but killed one wow. of my friends, you know, and, but how much I strongly held to that belief. So like you said, it's like when you mm -hmm. understand this indoctrination and how, how this really gets a hold of somebody's psyche, right? Like it's, there's so much mm. compassion there. And when people try to challenge them, it can drive them deeper yeah. into it. it. It makes them grasp even mm -hmm. tighter onto yes. it. Yes, you know? most definitely, most definitely. I could go into so many yeah. different directions. Yeah. Well, and I don't know which, which direction you kind of want to go. We could talk about from this toxic religion, how did that lead to your relationships oh, yeah. with narcissism? Or how was yes, that a connection yes. into narcissism let's, if let's you want to go into down that, that way? Yes. Or this environment provided a toxic framework for future relationships that was narcissistic in and of itself. And just saying to people, when I left the environment, I knew the environment and the indoctrination. It wasn't gonna leave me, it was still in there. 
So you have to deal with all the dysfunction even as you leave and explore like, why aren't relationships working out? Why are these patterns happening all the time? So in that environment, really how they convert you is number one in the beginning, like the narcissistic abuse cycle, like the adulation stage or the love bombing. So you're, there's usually like a very emotional sermon about, oh my gosh, like God died on the cross for you. And oh my gosh, you are so broken. You can't do anything on your own. And, but, oh, get, and like, you're going to burn in hell for eternity. Oh, but guess what? Like, there is this being that cares so much about you. They, they died on the cross for you. They did all these things for you and they love you so, so much. And they try to emphasize this love at first. And then once you accepted that, oh, yes, like there is this prayer you would say and you would automatically have a ticket to heaven and no one could take it away from you. Except if you didn't believe anymore. If you didn't believe, oh, that means it was never real for you. Oh, then yeah. we can take it away. It's like, yeah. oh, we'll make you doubt that you actually have it by saying, oh, if you don't conform to our group, that means you're not really saved. If you don't believe what a group says, oh, you're not really saved. So like, ugh, all of that stuff. It just reminds me of like that strict parent that's just got to control the child to do everything and anything that they want. It sounds like that yeah. fog, right? The fear, obligation, yes. and guilt fear tactics of like, you're not going to go to heaven. You're not going to do this. The obligation of like keeping you obligated to have to go to church or have to pray or to give 10% of your earnings or whatever mm -hmm. they use, you know? And then that guilt, like I'm, I'm guilty. Like yeah. I'm a bad person mm -hmm. or shame. It's interesting because like they give you the problem and then they give you the solution. <laughs> and the solution is always so wonderful. So idealized and oh, like there's this wonderful human being. And you don't have to feel this awfulness anymore, but yet that was, that's not true. It's not true because then you would, right. for a moment, you would feel all oh, this, this being loves me and, oh, I don't have to deal with all this crap. So yes, I'll accept this. And then yeah. what happens is it's like psych, then like the devaluation stage, because that was so confusing to me in that environment. There would be messages of love at times of God. And then at times God could be so hateful and so awful. And there was so much judgment and hatefulness in the preaching too. And I was just like the cognitive dissonance. I was like, this makes sense. Like I thought God was so loving and I accepted this gift of salvation. Now they're like switching it up and they're all mean and hateful now and controlling and shaming and guilting. I thought I wasn't supposed to feel this anymore. They told me I was supposed to be free from that. I don't understand. And then it repeats. <laughs> it keeps you yeah the cycle it, of it abuse keeps you emotionally yep. because there are times you're like oh i feel so good and then it's like oh they're making me feel really shitty and it's just up and down up and down and so that framework of experiencing that really shaped relationships going forward and even like in my own family like i recognize that how oh my gosh like it's the same pattern my dad was a head of household only he could make the decisions period he controlled all that we did my mom had to submit, then me and my brothers had to submit, no questioning him, very strict, a lot of emotional manipulation and that, a lot of codependency in that family. And so, again, like it started on that large level of cult <laughs> in the family, <laughs> and then, yeah. you know, the personal relationships. It just like the um, Russian doll. Yes, that's <laughs> yes, a great analogy. <laughs> the cults within a cult that happens because. You know, as human beings, we seek what is familiar, even like unconsciously. 
And so when you're given and shown this behavior of relationships, it's going to, you know, whether it's in a cult or not, it's going to show up in other areas of your life. And so for me, as I got to the college years, eventually ending up at a Christian college. And at that point, I had a lot of internal questions, but I was too afraid to question even more or openly express that, afraid of what would happen. And I was so dependent on that group and on my family that would jeopardize that, my resources. So I just Mm -hmm. went along and I didn't really have any options. And I think this is something I quickly want to address is that I have people who will message me and be like, victim blaming and being like you're a queer person and you went to a fundamentalist christian college that's on you like shut up quit talking about it and what i say is a lot of queer people who end up at these strict fundamentalist christian college were put into a double bind so we're given yeah. two options but they're not really options they're two terrible things so it doesn't which whichever one we pick you're damned if yes, you do and damned you. if you don't. Yes. So for me, like my <laughs> options were go to a Christian university or stay in an IFB. So it's like, let me pick yes. the lesser of two. So evils. for me, I was like, <laughs> I knew how strict and hard a Christian college would be, but I wouldn't have my parents hovering over everything I did mm. and controlling. And, you know, there was still a lot of control in that environment, you know, right. the, the college, but they can't control every single person. Because the ratio of students to like workers there, like they couldn't, they tried, but they couldn't. And would it have been an option to go to another college or was that kind of like forced on you to go to a Christian Christian college? All the Christian colleges that were options, all of them except for Bob Jones were unaccredited, which means their degrees didn't mean anything. It's purposely Mm. set up that way because it's that information control again. They don't want to be accredited because they have to actually present. Yes. Like follow rules, follow rules, <laughs> have be accountable and have outside information that's contradictory to their right. beliefs. So for me, I'm like, if I go their to a beliefs. Christian college where I can only work in a, like these strict Christian environments, I'm not, I can't escape this system. So Bob Jones, they were accredited and it was really interesting to see how they balanced not really balanced, but dealt with contradictory information to their beliefs. They had to teach evolution. That was something that they completely deny, but they have to teach it in their school. And they do it in a way that still denies science and proof and facts, but it's very like, it's incredible they're accredited still, but they are. So that's just kind of a context of that environment. So I'm in this double bind. And that's why I ended up going to this university. And again, I was basically going into another cult again, (laughs) like all the areas of control that I grew up in. It was just a little bit different because I didn't have my parents hovering over me. The rules were so strict with like clothes, who you could date, who like um, physical contact with people. You couldn't go off campus with the opposite gender. (laughs) When I, arrived there in 2018 for my freshman year that was the first year that they allowed women to wear pants to class so for context yeah that's that's how far behind they were and for another context they that school banned interracial dating until 2000 
So wow, very behind. Yeah, that, that helps. Like, yeah. <laughs> so you know, at this school, it was really hard navigating all these questions in an environment where I wasn't allowed to ask these questions. It was so confusing because critical thinking was something this school encouraged, but of course, not when it regards their beliefs and not when it regards their religion. And I remember for chapel, which we were forced to go to chapel like four days a week. It was just like a short sermon, basically, and like songs. And during that time, we were all required as a student body of over 2000 students in this big auditorium and we're required to stand up and say this creed in unison of all these fundamental Christian beliefs that we're supposed to accept without question, period. And there are a lot of things I'm standing there, like it got to a point where I stood up, but I'm like, I didn't say anymore. I just shut my mouth and I'm like, I don't believe this, but I can't tell anyone. <laughs> I can't tell anyone. And oh, it yeah. scared me too, because there were times when people would notice when someone didn't say the creed, like they would stand up and not mouth it. People would find them afterwards and confront them. Why didn't you say the creed? Why did you not say that? <laughs> so part of me is like, should I keep saying the creed? Cause I'm so scared. Someone is going to track me down and be like, well, why aren't you saying the creed? Why aren't you saying these? Cause what would happen if you said you didn't believe you in it? You're expelled. You have, you have, you have to, to believe, believe in order believe to be in, in there. there. Yes. That's why wow. I was expelled. <laughs> <laughs> not culty at all <laughs> i know and so during this time at this school so yeah i'm in a, a cult dealing with my questions struggling in every area of my life like my mental health my sexuality trying to find true community because i can't express myself at all or be honest or authentic with people so struggling with that i found myself ending up in narcissistic relationships and the first narcissistic, like, on a, I guess on a more romantic level, at least, that, I mean, it was a, my first experience, which is terrible, terrible. For, and, I, and I laugh about it. Your first <laughs> yes. romantic experience, yeah. So it wow. was, and it's, I'm glad I'm able to talk about this because it's something I've never talked about before, but this person you know, I didn't know about narcissistic relationships or the narcissistic abuse cycle, or I didn't realize I grew up in a narcissistic system. So right. it was so normal to me. So I ended up meeting this person at school through a connection of a friend. And once we started talking, like we seemed to have things in common and we just opened up to each other like very, very quickly and seemed to have this connection at least because we had so many things in common, I felt like at the time. And he generally at first was just super kind, super nice, going out to eat and just doing all these nice things for me, complimenting me. And I was like, oh, like this is such an incredible person saying how he felt like that the universe had meant for us to meet, which I know you're seeing signs. You're like, oof. The whole soulmate destiny. Uh, God, God's plan. <laughs> Twin flames. As yeah. And so I felt like within a week, just a week of knowing this person, I felt so emotionally invested and involved. And part of me was like, oh, is this mm. too, going too fast? But the other part of me is like, oh, like, you know, this this is this was meant to happen like this is the universe or something or something caused this so don't question it 
And, you know, you're meeting someone where you can actually like express your frustrations and hiding your identity at this school. So don't throw that away. And so I think what happened was, and it, it was weird for me because he went from being so nice, so kind. And it was really like a week or two later, he just completely changed as a person. The personality is flipped. So mean, so hateful. What triggered that? Did you not follow a rule? I'm not sure specifically what exact moment caused that. But part of me thinks that looking back that they were certain that I was emotionally dependent on them. I think at that moment they thought I was emotionally hooked that they could change to who they really were. And Mm, I also think jealousy might've been part of it too. That made that switch because I just met this person and they're asking, Oh, if I'm talking to anyone else and I'm like, Oh, well that's not your business. Like we just met, we're not in a committed relationship. So you don't need to know that. And that just made them so upset. Like this one's (laughs) not going to be easy to control. And so, yeah, so it started with just kind of slowly just, putting me down and breaking me down as a person. It was really awful because I felt like I was under a microscope. They would like criticize everything I did. Oh, why do you eat that way? Why do you walk that way? Why do you talk? So everything I did was like, there was something wrong with it and made me so self-conscious about it and so insecure. And Oh, why do you do this? Why do you do that? And just how also I questioned them because they were so judgmental of other people. I was like, why do you know? You don't know them. Like, why are you judging that person? And then like shame me for calling them out. (laughs) And the sense of just superiority on their aspect, they started opening up more and showing me who they really were. And when that happened, like there were things that really, scared to me because this person then said like i have i have fantasies and this is just a trigger warning for people but like i have fantasies about just taking a gun and shooting all the people in this school i hate all these people so much i can't stand them they're so like inferior and i was just like just sitting there just chills and like goosebumps and like, what do I do? Like, oh, this is, it was a very scary moment that this, I'm like, oh, this person exists among yeah. us that wants to hurt us and they have fantasies. And they're like, I'm not stupid. They're like, I wouldn't do it because I wouldn't get away with it. And I'm like, that's what would stop you. Oh. And once they started telling me how much they admired Hitler, I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> like, this is just insane. It's like anyone who disagreed with them was inferior he's like you don't believe in all that equality shit and equal rights like you're not one of those people are you and i'm like yes i do believe in equal rights for people everyone deserves equal opportunity and equal rights you're inherently deserved that and he was like no like people like no you don't have inherent worth <laughs> he didn't believe people were inherent of worth wow and- And were you already like emotionally invested in the relationship? What do you think? Like, how do you stay then? At that point, I feel like internally, I was like, you have to leave. You have to get away. But it's kind of scared because once Mm. you find out how evil. Right. What could happen to you? Like if he's going to shoot the school, like, and if you break his heart, what could he do to you? For me, I was like, what do I do? He made it clear. He's like, we're not boyfriends. 
you know, this is just just a thing. And I was like, oh, okay, so I can talk to other people then. It's like, no. <laughs> and at that point, like, I have to get emotionally invested with someone before I, I even become sexual. So I didn't want to go to the next level to sexual, even though he tried to pressure me so much because I wanted to be smart about it. I'm like, okay, like, what is your status? Are you using condoms? Are you on prep? Are you like, what are you doing? Cause like you have to consider me and we had to consider each other's health involving that. He was like, Oh no, I, I've never been yeah. tested. I don't, you know, I have unsafe sex. I don't care. He's like, Oh, I'm sure I don't have any diseases. I was like, well, I'm like, you have to understand like, I'm not going to consent to that at all. And it was obvious that because I had opened up to him quickly, he knew how to get into my head and how to control me. So he tried to form that emotional connection because he knew yeah. that's what I needed. It wasn't real to him. I don't think at all. And it was confusing because then I would leave these situations that he was so hateful and verbally abusive. And then through text, he would just be like so insecure and so broken and need me so much. And I was like, what is going on in reality? That's not what he's like. In reality, he's like this superior person is so strong and so much better than everyone else. And now he's like really sad. And now he's like, oh, I'm so glad that I have you. I don't know what I would do without you. As he was opening up to me about so many of these things he's struggling with. He's like, I'm so glad you're here to listen to me and be with me. So many people have left me. And he made me promise him. And the, actually, this happened at the very beginning. I forgot about this. He made me promise. He's like, don't abandon me. Don't leave me. And that's a red flag. <laughs> that is a red flag. Mm -hmm. And I broke mm -hmm. that promise. I did. <laughs> oh, you bet I did. And so it got to the point where, as the verbal abuse really kept going on, and we were talking about going forward, what we would call our relationship, he, he had decided, he's like, I just want to be friends now. And at that point internally, I was like, I don't want to be around this person at all. I don't want them to have anything to do with me. And I don't want anything to do with them. So in that moment, I was like, how do I do this? So I decided to just cut him off completely. Block on everything. Block his number. There was no way he could contact me, of course, in person because we went to the same school. And so after that, I'm like, I am so scared. And the thing is, I wanted to tell someone about him and how dangerous of a person he was, but I wasn't even allowed to be in a gay relationship in that school. That wasn't allowed. Oh, yeah, at the school yeah. that you're at not allowed to be LGBTQ. No. So you can't even go to a counselor or. I couldn't tell anyone about wow. what was. If somebody were to find out that you were in a relationship with a guy, then yeah, they, would you would have been expelled? Or... Yeah. So you're stuck in that situation wow. of like, this is a dangerous person, but I'm going to get in trouble just for seeking to be in a relationship with a guy like this. So it's like, oh, so for me, I was like, you know, at that point I knew his schedule and, you know, he knew mine, unfortunately, he knew my schedule of like going to classes. And so the only thing I could do is, okay, like, we go to the dining hall at the same time, usually. All right, so I won't go at that time anymore. All right, so I know where he goes to classes, so I'm not going to go around in that area anymore. I know who his friends are. I'm not going to be around those people. I'm not going to be in contact. So it was just 
trying so, so hard <laughs> to avoid this person. And at that point, I didn't realize that that cycle, that narcissistic abuse cycle was, I grew up seeing that without knowing it. And I gotten hooked into that. Like it was so emotionally right. attracting to be love bomb like that. Cause that's all I knew at the beginning and ending up in that. It was really hard, but there were moments where we did come in contact for me. I literally pretended like he did not exist anymore. So he's coming down the hallway. Mm. No, it was so hard for me to not make eye contact, but like he just didn't exist. So when he graduated, I was like, oof, that's great. And then someone told me, this person is coming back to school for another degree. You're going to be seeing them more. I was like, oh my goodness. Like I cannot anymore. I can't. So I just had to be really careful and I was like okay like this person they don't have access to the college dorms so that made me feel safer like they couldn't just walk in a building and that was something that did worry me too I was worried that I was going to walk into my dorm room one day and he was going to be hiding in there like I just pretended that person did not exist and I'm just curious what are your thoughts on all of this it just blows my mind. The abuse mm -hmm. cycle is the same. Yes. Like I like that Russian doll <laughs> analogy, right? It's mm -hmm. like you have the family does it. It's the abuse cycle of the family. It's mm -hmm. the abuse cycle of the religious cult. It's a abuse cycle of a romantic relationship. Mm -hmm. It's like the same pattern. And like you said, it's like you seek the same thing. And I just so relate mm -hmm. to your story because that's what happened to me. Like you said, it becomes your your safe place in a sense, as, as crazy as it sounds, but it's like our nervous system is almost like addicted to mm -hmm. these high highs and the low lows. And you don't yeah. have any of these healthy role models or what it's like to actually be in a community or a friendship or have a family member that truly cares for your feelings and your needs, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's what causes cult hopping, right? You hop from one abusive situation to the next. It could be from a cult to a narcissistic abusive relationship, or you hop from a narcissistic abusive relationship to a cult or to a, then a religious community or a spiritual community. And I love what you do on social media. And what both of our podcasts are here to do is start to educate on these cycles. Because if we don't understand the underlying patterns, we hop into another one. Hopping from one to the next because it's a little bit better. Yes. Right? It's like in that double bind of, you know, and that was a for me, I was in a spiritual cult. Mm -hmm. I was suicidal, just rock bottom and it's so just my identity, everything was lost. But then I jumped into another one. I left it to be in a relationship, not romantic, but just a friendship business partnership with her, but she continued mm -hmm. to devalue wow. me and abuse me and I got stuck in that narcissistic cycle as well. But it was better mm -hmm. than the cult. You know, like it was a little bit better. And that's what I see people do is when we don't actually stop to do the inner healing and see the cycles and work on ourselves to break these patterns. And I'd love to hear like your recovery journey as well. Mm. Like, how do you break these cycles so that you don't go uh. from religious cult to relationship or relationship into community? Because for me, it was mm. all about working on the nervous system to teach my nervous system, mm. you don't have to be addicted to these cycles, but it was mm. like going through mm. withdrawal. I would have panic attacks mm -hmm. and I was shaking and I couldn't leave. I couldn't look at light. I couldn't listen to sounds. Mm. I was just like 
tremors all the time because my nervous system was healing from this narcissistic abuse cycle from cults and romantic relationships and friendship business partnerships. I mean, it was like I had hopped from one to the next to the next and mm -hmm. hadn't actually done the work mm -hmm. to heal on a deeper level. Yeah. How did you mm -hmm. begin to like break that cycle yeah. of abuse and stop yeah. that cult yeah, hopping or whatever you want to call that it? Relationship, I didn't have any labels to, or to dig into or why that happened. I'm like, oh, well, that's an abusive person. And I didn't even, I didn't have any language to consider what happened. So for me, I just went on with my life. Yeah. And so what happened, yeah, what really, yeah. I think, really started me breaking the cycle was leaving that cultic environment in general, or internally like deconverting from their belief system, which again, I relate so much to what you were saying about your nervous system being dysregulated. I felt the withdrawal of not believing in that system anymore, not having that certainty, that stability, the, oh, I'm going to have certainty of afterlife and having that religious community, at least. It's just so scary. And so for me, I, oh, gosh, like in that moment, I, I wish I would have had time to slow down when that, when I deconverted, but I didn't, I had to go on with my life and struggle with depression and anxiety mm. and all these mental health symptoms. Right. And I struggled throughout all of my childhood with mental health symptoms as a result of like repressing sexuality and religious trauma and from all the different abuse that happened in that environment. But for me, my body and mind were literally telling me, you better stop. You have to stop. You have to. And I went on, I went on still. And so for me, the first step was even acknowledging that I've been through trauma or been through abuse, <laughs> admitting to mm. own what you've, and so that was really hard to do, but and... it, it had to be me questioning that system and being like, you know what, this system, they're telling me that this is supposed to make my life happy and fulfilling, but it's not. My mental health is really bad. I'm not sure what's going on and learning about religious trauma. That was like the first step of, okay, these teachings and this environment and this high control and all these behaviors cause all this trauma in me. I have to explore that. So I explored that through art, expressing those emotions that I could through specifically art photography. And I told my story through art photography and I published it online and I got interviewed by that guy, Josh oh, wow. Harris. And that's what got me expelled because in that interview, I talk about my story and I talk about leaving that belief system. So that's why they're like, oh, well, you don't believe what we believe. So get out. You're gone. I listened to it and I loved it because even he was like, wait, you might get expelled for being on here. Are you sure you want to be on here? And you're like, yeah, fuck it. Like kind of thing. Like, yeah. And I was like, whoa, this guy's got balls. Like, like you could be kicked out of And you only uh -huh. had like one semester left or something. I think most people mm -hmm. would be like, well, let me just shut up until I finish. And you were, mm. I don't know, there was something, oh, I got chills. Like there was something so inspiring and empowering about that of like, no, I deserve yes. to have my voice, my truth heard. Like this is messed up what's going on. And let this almost be mm -hmm. a testament to what this university or this school is about. Like if I'm going to get mm -hmm. expelled because yeah. I'm speaking my truth or because yeah. I'm gay or whatever it may be, mm -hmm. like, so be it. Like living <laughs> yes. your, I was like, oh, <laughs> yes. yay, Andrew, like authenticity rules. <laughs> like oh, I was a plot. I was, I was crying as I was listening. My brother came out mm. when he was young. So just these stories are, are so near and dear to my heart. And yeah, I don't know. I was just, and I've seen how, you know, mm. I lived in Africa through the Peace Corps 
And there was a lot of missionaries that came in to Africa. And it was just heartbreaking because mm-hmm. some of my students, I could tell were gay and sodomy is illegal there. It's just, it's in the law. And it was just like soul crushing to, to watch these kids be also constrained. And I remember just being in a double bind there of like, oh, I want to set them free. But mm. I was like, yeah. I could get them arrested or killed. Mm. How do I navigate this? You know? So to go back to your recovery journey then for you personally and, and maybe as a whole, yeah. like how can people mm-hmm. cut these cycles of yeah. jumping? It's really causing to realize what was going on was when I got expelled from Bob Jones and I was finally like physically out of that environment and starting my recovery journey. I started learning more about cults because in the beginning of my journey, I didn't tell people I grew up in a Mm. cult because I didn't have the education or or know the criteria. But as I learned more and more and learned about narcissism, I started making the connections and it just went off in my brain. And it was just like, oh my goodness. And it it was a relief. Mm, Because you had the language and the understanding of what was happening because I had the education, it has protected me from being sucked into those relationships. Like I I know the love bombing, I recognize it and I'm very careful and I'm careful of cults online that are just very charismatic, very love bombing too. And that has helped me. What I'm working through is I think people go through this period where they're like, no more relationships, (laughs) no more relationships. I just, So that's something I've been struggling with and being careful. I'm like really careful when making new friends and different things and trying to, in a sense, I don't want to live in a state of hypervigilance, but still be wise and understand and realize not everyone is a threat. (laughs) And I think it's this understanding. Mm -hmm. It's almost like we have to rewire and teach ourselves and lead a new way of how to get into relationships because (laughs) How we're taught is like, yeah, one night stands or, oh, just like jump into it and dive in. And we're used to the love bombing and we're used to just going fast all the time, right? And that was me too. Like I was just wanting to share every trauma that I've ever had. Like here's all of me. Here's, I'm going to lay out all my trauma, all my stuff, like on the, like day one or day two, maybe. And then let's see if you still love me. Can you handle me? Right. And now it's like, wait, no, I'm going to honor myself and for me to share with somebody mm-hmm. these deeper parts of me, like that it has to be earned yes. and to take a relationship very mm-hmm. slowly, I think is a beautiful thing. There's a beautiful <laughs> yeah. phase where you're like, fuck all relationships. Yeah. Like I'm never going to, I think everyone has to go through that. Like I'm never going to date again. Yeah. I'm never going to like trust again. I'm never going to yeah. be religious again, or I'm never going to be spiritual again. There's a beautiful yeah. part of that of almost throwing away everything yeah. so that yes. you can come back to yourself mm-hmm. And then slowly, slowly, like slow and steady, piece by piece. Oh yeah, actually for me, I am Mm -hmm. still spiritual. I still believe in these, in some things. And I do believe in, I'm a hopeless romantic at heart. I do want to be in relationship, but I know mm -hmm. I'm not going to do it in the old way. Yeah. I love that trust over time. Throwing it away because you have to find out what you truly want and who you are and not what all these people and groups have told you. Right. Oh, well. Thank you so much for coming on. Is like, how can people reach out to you yeah, or find like, I'm you very active if um, on they want to connect media, with you? Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube. So just look at my name, Andrew Pledger, and you can find me. Okay, cool. We'll put in the show notes too. Is Oof. there anything else you want to um, share? Or anything? Yeah, for people uh, listening, I think 
it is so important, I think, yeah, to keep, like you said, an open mind, but still be skeptical of things and to be careful of cult hopping, most definitely, and to do the work of educating yourself on these different areas to break these cycles and to have like compassion for yourself. That is, is, you know, it's a progress. You don't have to reach a really, I think perfection is not, an, that's not going to happen. It's all about progress, not perfection. It's okay to have your own spiritual beliefs, but still be skeptical and beware of like claiming of the only way. And definitely cult education will help you avoid a lot of those things. I have that image of yeah. like how we were talking before of like grasping on so tight. It's like, if you can just, and I know it's freaking hard and the survival mode will come yeah. on because it doesn't want to let go of that grist because it feels like it's going to die because letting go of the beliefs and deconstructing does, does kind of feel yeah. like- Oof. It feels like hell sometimes, you know, when you go through it. It is one of the most hardest things to go through. But on the other end, oh, my God, Mm -hmm. so much liberation. That's why I feel like if we let go a little bit, it's like what remains is Mm -hmm. the truth. What remains is going to be that love. It's worth it. It's worth it, I feel, (laughs) deconstructing and and breaking these cycles and and facing these, these hard patterns that we've lived our whole life to really face it. Well, thank you so much. And thanks so much for sharing also your story so vulnerably. I think hearing somebody who's gone through this journey through so much of what you shared, I was like, me too, me too, me too. Thank you so much for having me. You were like a fantastic podcast host. Thank you again for having me on. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope this podcast has sparked some new insights, inspiration, or deeper questions. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a review, and share it with your friends. Your support helps us reach more people and continue to create meaningful content. If you have any questions, comments, or would like to be a guest on our show, please reach out at CallieSorensen.com or on Instagram or YouTube at CallieSorensen. Remember, the journey of self-discovery and growth is ongoing. Until next time, may you continue to explore, learn, and grow. Please be advised that the opinions and views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the guests, hosts, and are not intended as professional advice. The content provided on this podcast is intended for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a substitute for professional counseling or medical treatment. The opinions shared on this podcast contain personal experiences and opinions that do not apply to everyone or every situation. And anything shared is not intended to malign any religion, belief, group, person, club, organization, individual, anyone, or anything.